0: wish to greet each one of you in Jesus name this morning it's good to be here in the house of the Lord and uh, I'm glad we don't feel like we need uh, people to come in with pistols and hold them to the heads of our people and say all those that uh, aren't Christians get out like brother Raymond said in our Sunday school class this morning to to have a good worship service with sincere believers I believe we um, I should fill in the story there. Brother Raymond shared how that uh, too. There was a church where a congregation where they were meeting and, and uh, several, a couple men with pistols came in and, and said, all those that aren't Christians, get out or else we're going to. We're going to kill the Christians here. And so two-thirds of the church got out and left. And then the men, after the two-thirds had left, went and locked the door and dropped their guns and said, now you all can worship. We know that now y'all can worship in sincerity. We know the hypocrites have left. Well, I'm I'm glad we don't have to have that feeling here this morning at, at all. Especially like uh, the song, the song service this morning. I really appreciated. Um, and this morning there was one a verse in the song that we sang. Christ liveth in me that I I had chosen, uh, that I found uh, very meaningful, and that was uh, verse three of of the song one hundred nine. As lives the flower within the seed, as in the cone, the tree, so praise the God of truth and grace. His Spirit dwelleth in me. You know that that cone is a is small, and it doesn't. It would be hard to imagine the big. Uh, pine tree the huge um, you know the forest of pines that come from those little cones and yet you know that tree is inside that cone and so this morning as, as we look at what we're going to be looking at as I share the message maybe maybe you'll feel a bit, little bit like the cone yet. Uh, it certainly has a way of making me feel that way and yet uh, Let's not forget Christ's spirit dwelleth in us. He wants us to experience the fullness of Christ. The title of this morning's message is Nine Attributes of the Godly Woman. And uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and all those that take mothering roles this morning. God bless you in that. I could have Nine Attributes of the Godly Woman And I want this to be a a, a message of encouragement to our our mothers and our sisters here this morning, especially dedicated to them. There are lots of women in the Bible that I I could have drawn this message from. There's the Shunammite woman. There's Lydia. In the New Testament, there's Peter's mother. There's Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist. There's Hannah. Hannah. There's Samuel's mother uh, there's Esther Ruth, Naomi Rahab Mary the mother of Christ there's lots of of good women good figures female figures in the Old Testament the New Testament that a sermon like this or a message like this could be drawn from there's also ungodly women uh, maybe Jezebel would a- epitomize all the ungodly women. She's talked of in, even in Revelation when it talks about ungodliness, ungodly women. It specifically talks about Jezebel, the great whore. Um, she's evil, manipulative, controlling, proud, hateful, um, painted, and all other kinds of bad things are said about her. And how much God hates her. Uh, especially in, the, in, the, in Revelations. But what if we could just have a, a manual, you know, of... of uh, wouldn't it be better just if we just had a manual of what good, good women are supposed to be like? Um, that would just, you know, make it really easy so that the husbands and fathers could get home a little earlier this afternoon and wash the dishes for their wives. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But we have that. Psalm, I'd like to, to read this verse out of Psalm 149, 4. The Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. The Lord taketh pleasure in His people. I th- he takes pleasure in His people. I, th- I think He especially takes pleasure in godly women. Women who... Are uh, exemplify the character of, of Christ. Like to turn to for for scriptural for our, our uh, the manual. Let's turn to 1 Peter 3:1, and I'll be reading these scriptures. 1 Peter 3:1, and then after that, Titus 2:1 through 9, and then after that, uh, 1 Timothy 2. Well, starting out with 1 Peter 3, likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart in which, in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this matter in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And then moving on to Titus 2, verse 1, starting with verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The aged men be sober, grave temperate, sound in faith, and charity and patience. speaking of the aged men there, then we get to the aged women. Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good. Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. In like manner, also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, that's in verse 9, and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Okay, I'm sorry, I I jumped scriptures. That's 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. In like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. In then verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So here's a pretty good, these three scriptures give a pretty good idea, and there's, there's other scriptures as well. But they, in my mind, uh, cut to the point and, and uh, say what God expects of godly women. Um, it's proper and sound doctrine. And, and proper and sound doctrine shouldn't have to be handled with a gymnastic approach. You know, I've seen, I've seen too many times when people or when ministers come to these uh, scriptures that they kind of dance around the, the different issues and they don't don't really want to, uh, uh, you know, come say it like it is, and and quite honestly and frankly, that would be my temptation here this morning, um, because you know there's always a potential for misunderstandings or hurts or whatever, but that's not what this is about this morning. This is a, a message designed to encourage, designed to. Um, To help our brothers, help us all understand what, um, you know, God intends, what God's best is for us. And and certainly there's plenty of scripture for the men, for the fathers, and hopefully, you know, Brother Leon will pick that up at Father's Day. But anyway, we'll see about that. Um, so there's certainly lots of scripture for the fathers, but, you know, today's Mother's Day, and I'd like to focus on that and give them do honor and also um, you know, help us all to realize, as I said before, what God's best is. We're not... I think all of these scriptures, this manual, is no way designed by God to squelch personalities. It's not designed to leave uh, women overwhelmed, leave godly wa- women feeling overwhelmed. But it's designed to to help us um, have godly families, families that really contribute to the kingdom of God, to society, to the church. So nine attributes of the godly women, I'm pulling these out of these scriptures, these attributes. Some of them will overlap, but that's okay. It, It has a reinforcing effect in those overlaps. Number one, chaste conduct. Chaste conduct. That goes along with discreet and good. Now that's a high calling. Uh, when you're, It says when they observe the wife's chaste conduct, and that observe has the connotation or implication of look closely up. Like, if you look closely at this glass of water, do you see any specks or dirt in it? I don't, and that makes me happy. Uh, Chaste conduct. You know, when a a husband observes, and that's talking about the unbelieving husband, observes his wife's chaste conduct, he'll be drawn to her walk of life with the Lord. He'll be drawn to trying to find out uh, what it is that, that makes her like that. And godly women are called to that, to chaste conduct. Pure, spotless, free from impurity. No mud or specks in their, in their character. A clear countenance. You know, that's inestimable uh, what a, a clear countenance is for, for a sister. A countenance that's free of guilt and free of impurity. A heart that's been cleansed with the washing of the water by the word, as the scripture says. A heart that's been cleansed. No reason for shame. A chaste conduct. Discreet, good, pure. Number two. A beautiful heart. The adorning that is of the heart. Not the adorning of the outward, but the adorning of the, the eternal quality of the meek and quiet spirit, a heart that is not one that doesn't reach out to, to cause disturbances or vie for attraction, not a drama queen or one to draw attention to herself. The adornment is of the, the, the meek and quiet spirit, a spirit of peacefulness, of tranquility, demurring behavior gracious, projecting a spirit of grace and kindness to others. Think of Ruth quietly gleaning the the mist grain at the field's edge, not raising disturbance there, but going there and working for her mother-in-law to supply for her and her mother-in-law's sustenance. Think of Rebecca there drawing the the water for for Eliezer and then uh, offering to to draw it for his men and his camels. Don't have the impression that she was trying to get their attention by, you know, any other way. She was just being a servant there and, and drew the water for, for Eliezer, his men, and their camels. Also thought of the many ways our own ladies um, do things, keep the wheels Turning, so as to speak, here in the here in our church, through you know many small acts and large acts of, of selflessness and and um, helpfulness. Think of all the many thousands of cups of potato salad, just for one example, that Fannie Martin's made. And and a, a lot of other things come to my mind as well. I think of the strong and scriptural characteristic strong and scriptural uh, uh, characteristic that we find in our Mennonite culture that's come under a strong and sustained attack from, from the outside worldly culture. Um, this characteristic of the quiet and, and, and meek spirit, that's not something that's, that's promoted by Hollywood. That's not promoted by our broader culture that the meek and quiet spirit the adorning of the heart uh, it, what's promoted is the self advancement the pushing of oneself forward by the culture surround uh, around us the, the making of oneself to be seen um, making of oneself to be very visible that's not what God wants he wants that beautiful heart the. the whose adorning is of the meek and quiet spirit. The increasing desire to know Christ, I believe, is part of that beautiful heart. The spirit of selflessness and not the spirit of sensuality. It's a Christ-like quality. The meek and quiet spirit, the adorning of the heart. Reverent behavior, number three. Reverent behavior, that's a third characteristic. Righteous behavior, behavior that projects the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Galatians 5.22. Of course, this is not just for the ladies, this is for the men as well. But I believe this is what Paul is talking about here, reverent behavior. Holy behavior, righteous behavior. Again, it's a high calling. And it's an impossible calling, I believe, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not possible without the Holy Spirit. Number four, possessors of godly integrity, not false accusers, not slanderers not given to slandering or tearing down of others or their characters or their reputations, possessors of godly integrity. And this doesn't mean that our godly sisters should be blind to evil or dangers. This doesn't mean that they won't warn their sons or daughters or their brothers or sisters or husband of evil characters or evil people or... Evil things they see. I believe godly women have, in some ways, have a sixth sense, an intuitive uh, way of, of feeling evil that maybe menfolk miss. Um, but it does mean that they'll not slander, they'll not take tear down, they'll not um, falsely accuse as it says, they're they're possessors of godly integrity. They won't taint or mar another person's reputation unjustly or as a result of a selfish motive or ambition. Possessors of good, of godly integrity. Sober, industrious, not drunkards. Paul called the ladies, the Apostle Paul called them to not be given too much wine. And I had to look at that a little bit and try to figure out the setting, you know, we're not generally given to any wine, so how does that apply to us? Well that's that's good if we don't need to even get there. But I think there are there's there is an application there. Uh, the Apostle Paul seems to have been speaking to the setting uh of his day to the Cretans in in addressing their self-indulgence. Titus 1.12 says of them, he talks to them this way, one of themselves, even an apostle of their own said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Those aren't easy words, Uh, evil beasts, uh, liars slow bellies those aren't easy beasts and i mean easy words sorry for the but that's that's what uh that's you know that's what paul said about them and i think he was when he said not given to much wine he was probably addressing that very thing there not prone to self-indulgent not prone to self-indulgence More importantly, not living a lazy and self-indulgent lifestyle. Maybe a more positive way of putting this would be living a life of purpose and godly fulfillment. Living a life of purpose and godly fulfillment. Sober and industrious. Number six, attribute. They're modestly dressed or modest apparel. They're, they're people that, that want to be uh, as God would have them be. And, and Paul talks about this, apparel that covers and conceals as God designed in the garden. He, God, If we look back in the, in the Garden of Eden... When sin came in, God dressed Adam and Eve. And, and he, had a, he had a reason for that. And, and uh, godly women respect that design of God's. And they don't, they don't try to move away from that. They use apparel that projects discretion and purity. Apparel that bespe- bespeaks itself of, of quietness and meekness. Not apparel uh, that comes from Jezebel, or from Hollywood, or that draws attention to itself or to the the wearer. Modest, uh, godly women are modestly apparelled. Number seven. They're subject and obedient to their own husbands. John MacArthur said this about this scripture. The ideas of radical feminism were an integral part of ancient Babylonian and Assyrian mythology, as well as of the Greek Gnosticism, which flourished throughout the Roman Empire during New Testament times and posed a constant danger to the early church. Modern feminism is neither new nor progressive. It is age old and regressive. It's John MacArthur. So feminism, has been around for a long time, is what he's saying. It was around during the time when Paul wrote this. It was around during the time of the New Testament, later New Testament church. It's, it's you know, maybe come in different forms, in different ways. But the, the idea of, of uh, radical feminism has been, has been here from the beginning of time. Well, radical feminism is, is not... Uh, an attribute, a godly attribute. Apostle says, Paul says to be subject and obedient to their own husbands. Being subject to their own possessive one, singular husband, one woman for one man as God designed it in the garden, a helpmeet for her husband, taken from his side not from his foot and not from his head, but a helpmate from his side, one that is there by Adam's side, by the man's side. Sarah is brought up as an example here. She called Abraham Lord. Sarah called Abraham Lord, not because Abraham, I believe, was, I don't think she called him that, because she thought Abraham was perfect or that Abraham always made the right decision I don't think she called Abraham Lord because Abraham was mean or demanded that she call him that title. Abraham didn't seem like that sort of man when I read about him in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah seemed to have a healthy and loving relationship. She was a helpmeet for him. Sure, he made some bad decisions and she did too. Um, But she respected Abraham and she called him Lord because she respected his God-given role. Obedient to their husbands. These were two actually subject and obedient were two different, uh, out of two different passages, and I combined them under the same heading here. But obedient to their husbands, God calls The married women to be responsible to one man, uh, and I believe it's not taking out of context that daughters should be responsible to one man, their father. Ideally, they should be responsible to one man too. Until that responsibility is transferred, or unless it's transferred to their husband. I would say this to our young girls. If you wish to be a godly wife, you know, begin by being an obedient and godly daughter. You'll never be sorry for starting that pattern young in life. Number eight, teachers and admonishers of godliness. So now we have a progression here. We have the embracing of God's way, of God's manual, And then we have the going on to teaching and admonishing, maturing on from a life of embracing godliness to that of promoting godliness and the principles of godliness through teaching and, and more importantly, faithful example. Willing to take responsibility to teach the younger, to teach those around to admonish, to encourage each other in being faithful to God first and foremost, being loving wives, being loving mothers, being loving sisters in, the, in families and in the communities. And maybe I could sum it up by saying being sister encouragers. Being sister encouragers to each other. I think that's so important. Teachers and admonishers of godliness. So you have an active responsibility as godly women to each other. As godly sisters to each other. Number nine, homemakers. That they be homemakers. There's a lot in making a home. I build houses. And it's interesting, though, when I go to sell a house, instead of putting it down house for sale, I like to put home for sale. There's something about home that sounds warmer, sounds inviting. It just seems like it'll catch the eye a little better. And, you know, as I was studying this and I was thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe that gives somewhat of a false advertisement because no one can truly buy a home. They buy a house. It's up to them what they make of it. They can make it into a home if they have a godly wife or a godly mother. Uh, but they, you know, it's, it's, in many ways, it's just, you know, materials until that family enters it. Well... Our godly women are called to be homemakers, and godly mothers are called to be homemakers. There's a lot that goes on with household administration. It takes a lot to manage a house and make it a home, and I thought I knew that until, you know, uh, I got married, and we had children, and I realized there's a lot more to it than I had understood, and I admired my mom more and more for all she did, and and continues to do, I admire my wife more and more for all she takes on and continues to take on. You know, only a godly woman can be a mom, a washerwoman, a schedule maker, a cook, an organizer of jobs according to the children's sundry or various abilities. You know, able to give the children their jobs according to what they can attain to. Uh, you know, be a nurse, a school driver, a most valued advisor to her husband, a hostess, a gardener, a canner, a discipliner of children, plus, a, you know, a hundred of other things. And not to mention meet, greet her husband with a smile when he comes in the door asking, you know, what's for dinner? Uh, you know, only, I think only a godly woman can really do all of those things. And being a homemaker is, is God's most noble design for a married woman. I believe it's the most noble design for a married woman. Uh, and there's plenty of things for those sisters who aren't married to do. That's not to minimize their roles. <clears throat> what about, I think it's only right and fitting that we jump back to the men here a little bit this morning. What about us? What can we as, as Christian brothers do to encourage and uh, enable our, the godly women in our midst, our mothers or sisters? Well, one thing we can do is we, we can respect and encourage our sisters in growing these godly attributes. You know, the talked about that, what that song talks about the cone um, maybe not all these attributes are full grown but we can we can do all that we're able to, to to encourage the growth of that of that seed that godly seed we can protect them from the cultural pressures of, of surrounding society of ungodly society in different ways but I'd like I have three here that I'd that I'd like to bring out. First of all, by admiring God, godly characteristics in them, by admiring their godly characteristics, um, by not admiring ungodly characteristics in, in other women or in, you know, in, in the culture, and by being godly men ourselves and placing value on what God values, what God really cares about. I think that's so important and that's a lot of the reason I believe for the message this morning is to remind ourselves we tend to accumulate dust we tend to accumulate grime you know from the values around us or lack of values and uh, there's times we need to sit down look at the scripture and say what does the Bible say not jump around it just look at it. what does it say and and put those things practical and, and and renew our admiration for what the Bible says. Proverbs 31 says this, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her children will rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Matthew 13, 44, a verse from there, it it may take it a bit out of context, but I believe it can apply. Again, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus speaking, is likened to a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all he hath, and buyeth that field. The virtuous woman is a treasure and I believe that in many ways she could be likened to this treasure. Her price is far above rubies. Her husband doth safely trust in her. And when a man finds her, when a young man finds uh, the virtuous woman, the young and married man finds a virtuous woman, he is no fool to sell all he has for her. I'll say this to the young men as you think about this. The young man that finds a virtuous woman is no fool to sell all he has for her. She is to be treasured. There's a story that I've given before here, but I I really like this story. one of the special stories of, of, that come to my mind when I think of this subject. And I, I couldn't find the original, so I took it from memory. You may have read it earlier and may have seen some differences. But this is how I remember it. There was a, a, uh, there was a, a man visited a family in Hawaii. And um, well, maybe I'll read it as I have it written down. The custom was for a young man to pay dowry for his wife. We'll just enter the story here. The price for an exceptional bride was five to seven cows. A lesser beautiful wife, maybe three cows. A wife where the father was just trying to unload his daughter, one cow. This young man of means became attracted to a young lady of an obscure village. Her family situation was less than desirable. Her father was somewhat abusive, and this young lady was treated more or less as a servant. When the young man made known to this father, girl's father that he wanted his daughter for his bride and requested the father's permission to marry her, the father laughed in derision. He stated to the emissary, he, the young man had sent him an emissary to talk to this father, uh, or a go between person. He stated to the, to the emissary that if this young man was fool enough to want her, he would certainly give him permission. The young man then requested to know the dowry price. The father stated one cow would be sufficient. The village laughed. The date was set for the young man to come get his bride. He was to bring his dowry with him. The village awaited to see the man of means come to get the drunkard's daughter to bring the skinny cow and to take this servant daughter as wife. They questioned if this man wanted to marry a servant, couldn't he if he found one in the city? They mocked at the girl and told her how badly she'd be treated by this fool husband. The big day arrived when the wealthy young man came into view. He was leading not one cow, not two, but ten cows, well above the the bride price for the most special of brides. The villagers were shocked. The bride's father was dumbfounded. The bride was proverbially swept off her feet. Later the writer of this story was visiting this man on business. He was invited invited to his home for a breakfast meeting. He states, a woman of rare beauty entertained us. I asked the host about this lady, he stated. I asked the host about this lady. The host stated, she's my wife. Later the host and his wife shared the story of their marriage with the visitor which was the story I just read. The question then surfaced, why did you pay so much? More than was requested in the dowry price. The host answer was, I wished her to know how much she was really worth to me. She was worth paying the highest price for. He then asked the visitor wouldn't you agree and the visitor said yes he would. She was a woman of, of rare beauty and he was speaking of of her character and her the kind of person she was. The moral was here was a wise man, he knew a treasure when he saw it. He saw this young lady, not in the best of environment. He saw a rare flower, a treasure. He was willing to make a great sacrifice for her. She responded with love. And at this time of the story, this couple had been married for a, a number of years. A virtuous woman is a treasure to her husband. If he's wise, he will give his best for her. And perhaps there are more virtuous women than there are wise men. I I wonder if that's not the case sometimes. We should thank God for our godly mothers, grandmothers, wives, and sisters. We treasure them today, and we wish them God's blessing today. That, and, we, and we would encourage them to, to keep following out of a pure heart the, the high ideals of God's word. We wish you a happy Mother's Day. God bless you for being all you are.